What's up, everybody? It's Chad from the Co-Main Event Podcast here. As you may or may not know, we're kicking off Pledge Month for the CME. So for the next couple of weeks, we'll be putting all of our normal Patreon content up for free in the regular CME feed, just to give you a little taste of what's happening behind the paywall. If you like what you hear, please consider joining us over there at patreon.com slash co-main event. We like to think it's the best little community in all of MMA. If you sign up for an annual subscription of $10 or more right now during pledge month, you get 10% off and we'll send you a free t-shirt. Remember, we are a totally independently produced podcast, so we rely on the generosity of listeners like you to keep this thing rolling. Again, that's patreon.com slash co-main event. First up this week, the Wednesday co-main event podcast Patreon live chat. We hope you enjoy it. Hashtag wild on Wednesday. What is up, everybody? It's Wednesday. It's another episode of the High Flying Death Defying Co Main Event Podcast Patreon live chat. I'm Chad. That's Ben. You are the beloved patrons of the Co Main Event. We're going to spend the next 60 minutes or so taking your questions, comments, and concerns from over on the Patreon page. Thanks to each and every one of you who stopped by to put those in in the proper comment section. Let's get started. Ben, folks, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Very excited about Pledge Month here. I imagine yeah. that we might have some people watching this who are not patrons, who are wondering, what do these guys get up to over there on their live chat? I hear about Wild on Wednesdays. What is it all about? Am I ready for it? Is it going to be too wild? Are we going to see Chad's nipples at any point? And, mm. uh, you know, I'm just here to tell you, ain't no telling. <laughs> ain't no telling you just got to stick around and find out anything can happen in the live chat that's true that's on a long true, enough man. timeline everything will happen in the live chat if there are any beloved patrons out there who didn't listen to the proper but are listening to this it is pledge month we got some sweet sweet goodies for you if you want to go back and hear the exact deal go listen to the proper from monday but Long story short, we're offering annual subscriptions now. If you upgrade from your monthly payment to a yearly payment, you save 10% off during pledge month. And also you save yourself some sales tax and processing fees every month. And if you upgrade to a year annual subscription at the $10 or $20 level, we'll send you a free t-shirt. If you live in America, apologies to all of our international listeners who I know are bummed about this, but upgrade to an annual subscription at the 10 or $20 level. Send a t-shirt. We'll send you a t-shirt. You get to go in the shop over at comainevent.com. Pick out whatever you want, whatever size, whatever color. Shoot me an email that says what you want. We'll send it to your, we'll right to your house. You don't even got to go nowhere. Just <laughs> we won't send it to the nearby park and you'll have to go hang around all day waiting for a shady guy to pull up in a Pontiac and give it to you out of the trunk of his car. No, we'll send it straight to your home right to your home you probably forget that it's coming then it'll show up it'll be like you got yourself a christmas present how about that jed you want to know who's first this week who's first it's a shocker i'm Who gonna is warn it? you it's kyle zaharis kyle zaharis that's wow. right wow kicking in the door and what i appreciate right under his name a little pronunciation guide to his last name because i might i might not have got this one might not have got it exactly right, if not for the pronunciation we're, guy. Zaharis. We are actually known for our pronunciations. So, Kyle writes, well, 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 the view from the mountaintop is indeed a beautiful sight to behold. This victory isn't just for me, but for all those who have dreamt of seeking glory. If you get knocked down, get up again and never let them keep you down. Anyway, go Lakers. Oh, well, that was inspiring, right? Yeah. Until the end. And Sonny <laughs> Weathers notes all hail King Zaharis. Uh, Cody Bernson says, kicking off Patreon Pledge Month with a fresh face atop the mountain. You love to see it. Hair Danny Boy the Third points out, and not a question in sight. Alpha move right there. <laughs> That's it? That's all he did was the That's inspirational all he did. saying? And then shout and then out to Lakers. his beloved Lakers? 
Yeah. All right. No, I'm digging it. Yeah. That's his right. That's his right to do that. It is. We don't have to like it, but we have to accept it. That's how it works in the live chat. With the first actual question, we go to Red Shack Guy, who says, All right. I-, I was first, but Derek Cleary gave it to Kyle. UFC 300 is about a year away. I know it's just a number, but UFC 100 and 200 are cards that stick out to me, and I remember the fights as being bigger in those nights. What would be the biggest thing the UFC could get cooking for 300? Hmm. Uh, Brian Jones notes UFC 300 is some Jetsons shit. It just does, you know, when you sound like UFC 300 sounds like us imagining a dystopian future. Yeah, I mean, it's so far out at this point. There's there's really no way to tell what will even be happening, who will be around, who will be the biggest stars, what fights would be possible to book coming up for UFC 300. It does remind me, though, did you see the interview with Dana White? by the big homie Aaron Bronstetter where he asked him, what are, what are the biggest fights? What's the biggest fight that the UFC could book right now? What's if you, you know, he said, doesn't matter if it makes sense for a division. Doesn't matter. You know, if it seems like it would have title implications, what's the biggest fight that you guys could book right now. And in a, an amazing coincidence, just an unbelievable coincidence the two fights that Dana White said were the biggest the UFC could make right now are the next two they have coming up. <laughs> Conor McGregor against Michael Chandler and John Jones against Steve Miocic. What are the odds of that? Oh, it's just such a coincidence that a fight promoter would say the biggest fights that they could make right now in the UFC just happen to be the next two that we're going to try to sell you. Well, I mean, you walk on the used car lot, you ask the guy, Hey, just if you could reach into the imaginary ether and pull out any car that you think would just be awesome to drive, what do you think it would be? Don't you think he's going to say it happens to be this 1991 Camaro that he's got right over here for seven grand? Don't you think it's going to be something on the lot? That's just the most expensive thing on the lot. When it's in you, when you're the promoter, when you're the salesman, and that's just who you are as a person. I don't even know if he's entirely aware that that's what he's doing. I also kind of think that Dana White might be tuned out enough at this point that, man, he is not out here fantasy matchmaking shit in his mind the way fans are. He's just going to, we're going to roll out some shit. You're going to buy the shit. If you don't buy the shit, I'm going to yell at you. uh, And then we're going to move on and sell you more shit. And I I don't think that he's even totally, like, I think it surely is, the salesman's going to tell you that the best possible thing are the things he has for sale, but also that I think Dana White probably does not care enough to have in his mind, oh man, I wish I could make this one. This would be my perfect ideal fight, you know? It did make me flash back to when I was interviewing longtime UFC PR guy Ant Evans for The Athletic about the UFC Hall of Fame which was basically Ant's brainchild back when he worked at the UFC. It took him years and years to convince Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta that the UFC Hall of Fame was a thing that they should do. And Ant was basically talking about how MMA is a terrible steward of its own history. And I was like, why do you think that is? Why do you think that we don't care or that at least the people in charge don't care about the history of the sport. And he was like, well, you know what the old fight promoter cliche is. And I said, what? And he said, the biggest fight of all time is the next one you've got coming up. Yeah. And when Dana White answered Aaron Bronstetter's question with, Oh, by the way, it just happens to be the next two fights we have coming up. I just, I flashed back to Ant telling me that like three years ago. And I was just like, well, holy shit. Yeah. He was right. Neil says, did you guys see the clip of Derek from Better Media telling Nate he'd like to box Nick on the undercard of his fight with Jake Paul because, quote, if he's anything like you, I'd beat his fucking ass. Nate's response, you just gonna walk around the streets or some shit? You know all my homies can see you right now. Put real fear into the guy. Jake told Nate he'd fire him later, and I'm pretty sure Derek shit his pants on the spot. Did homie work himself into a shoot here? Um... Now, I did see and mentioned on Twitter just this morning the clip of the guy apologizing. Uh, yeah. 
And then- actually, an email landed in my inbox at 9.31 a.m. this morning from Liz Keller, who's a never, person I've never heard from before. But the subject line was, yeah. Better Derek apologizes to Nate Diaz. And I was just like, I don't fucking know, man. I'm not going <laughs> to read that email. I don't care what it is. I'm just going to go do the live chat. So I'm glad that you guys have filled me in on what's going on with, with Better Derek. You know what? I got that same email. Did not click the link in it because that's all really all it said is that just like, oh, here's his apology to Nate Diaz. And then there's a link for you to click it and watch the video. And I was just like, on the off chance that this is some spam, it says some malware. How <laughs> dumb would I feel if that's how they got me? You know, <laughs> like, you better get me by telling me I, I won a raffle I didn't sign up for or something, you know, or that I am, I'm owed some money in a class action lawsuit. You're not going to get me with an apology to Nate Diaz from Derek of better media. And so I was just like, you know what, if it's real and if it is a thing, it'll find its way to me. And like six minutes later, sure enough on Twitter, it did. And first of all, I, I, I was trying to explain the concept uh, recently to a friend of working yourself into a shoot. And, uh, when I was trying to that had to you know explain the terms work and shoot and her response was oh I thought it was just like you you get into a situation that makes you say oh shoot and I was like well you know what that's actually applicable here too because that might be what happened here you go out there trying to be like let me let me get some of this attention for myself and then you get it and you go oh shoot now I have yeah. it what do I do with it now that I have it I understand how we have created this environment culturally and and otherwise where it's like if you are trying to be a young person trying to break into some form of media and, you know, you get questions like this from people all the time. It'd be like, how do I break into MMA media? How do I get started? That kind of stuff. I could absolutely understand why you would look around, conduct an honest assessment and think the thing I should do is just try to be a very public jackass in one way or another so that people are talking about me so that something to get the name Derek from better media in people's mouths. And that's the launching pad. That's how I'll start. I absolutely understand how somebody could come to that conclusion that that's the way to do it rather than just be like, I don't know. I guess I'll just do a good job for many years and hope somebody, you <laughs> know, like I could totally understand why somebody would be like, look around and be like, doesn't work that way anymore. Maybe it worked yeah. that way once doesn't work that way anymore. You know, you'll be some underling at a newspaper. You'll be like one of six remaining staff members, and then you'll be the first one they cut. And I could, I could totally understand when somebody would be like, "This is the only way to do it. I must abandon dignity and just do it." I can get why somebody would come to that conclusion. I also think it fucking sucks. It sucks so bad. Also, yeah, we've gotten a lot of emails over the years, as you said, from people asking how to break into the MMA media industry. And you know what I have never said ever in a reply? Talk shit to the Diaz brothers. Hey, man, you want to make a name for yourself? You want to have a long career, let alone a healthy life? Talk shit to the Diaz brothers. What the fuck, man? If you're going to do that, talk shit to somebody who will play along, who will, who, who knows that it's just a, a gimmick. Yeah. Don't, don't talk shit to the people would be, but... who are incapable of understanding it as a gimmick. You know? Um, Lefty Headlock says, well, I suppose I have some crow to eat. If you're reading this, Aljo, I apologize for disparaging your wrestling. Sincerely, a retired D2 and D1 wrestler. Anyway, now that I have that out of the way, what the fuck is up with the next couple of fight cards? Aside from Benny Dariush and Chucky Olives, the JSF era is in full effect. Is that bubble ever going to burst? Will the UFC realize that even the shit-eating wild peoples aren't turning tuning in to watch these cards live and shift into a quality over quantity model? L-Y-B-E. Uh, Red Shack guy notes, what's the bubble bursting look like, though? People not buying the pay-per-views? ESPN Plus ratings down? We never get into any of that, so it's hard to get a picture of the company's health outside of the financials they have to release every year that shows Screws McDuck jumping into the pool of money. Yeah, was he talking about pay-per-view cards? What were the two cards that he mentioned there? He mentioned uh, Benny Darius and Chucky Olives, uh, and I believe that's the only one he mentioned there. Okay. So that yes, that's that's UFC 289, right? That is headlined by Amanda Nunes and Irene Aldana, which is the makeup fight because uh, Juliana Pena got injured. Then you have after that, which would be UFC 290, is Volkanovski versus Yaya Rodriguez. That's coming up in July. That so that has banger that's potential. A, yeah, that's a nice little number right right there. And you know, as we talked about on Monday, 
this weekend's uh, UFC on ABC card, which is headlined by the Biggie Boy versus Jailton Almeida, is actually a pretty fun and interesting card. So I think we got to give them credit for that. Uh, this next one coming up, you know, we just rolled out of UFC 288, which had a little bit of a low profile feel. And I would definitely agree that Amanda Nunes against Irini Aldana and Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush, both of which are going to be fun fights, I think, but they're going to have a little bit of a lower profile than, uh, you know, the blockbusters that we kicked off the year with. This one going down, Ben, by the way, at Rogers Arena up there in Vancouver. Which one? The one in Vancouver, B.C., uh, one of the nicest towns in the world. But here's the rest of the card. Now, who knows if this is in order, but here's the rest of the pay-per-view main card, Ben. We have at welterweight listed Mike Malott versus Adam Fugit. Okay. That's that's the fight that is listed directly under Oliveira and, and Dariush. Then you got, okay, well, here you go. You got Dan Ige versus Nate the Train Landwehr. Well, you know, I'm going to be on board with that one. I cal alert for yourself for Nate Landwehr toot, coming toot, back. Riding the train. <laughs> uh, Mark Andre Berrialt against Eric Anders, your boy. That's the entire pay-per-view main card that's listed. Also on this card, on the uh, the undercard, uh, Matt Schnell, Khalil Roundtree Jr., Lil Dacus, Nasruddin Imavov, uh, Chris Curtis, Hakeem Duwadu, Miranda Maverick on this thing. That's, I mean, yeah, I got to... I got to agree. That's that's pretty thin for a pay-per-view card. But the question at hand, what does it look like if the bubble bursts? I don't even know because I don't think it can at this point, right? Like no matter what happens through the rest of this ESPN deal, ESPN is either going to re-up with the UFC to keep them on ESPN Plus because it is essentially one of the flagship pieces of content on ESPN Plus, which is not yeah. as big of a compliment as you might have thought it was going to be when they first started because ESPN Plus is basically like the UFC, the NHL, D-League basketball, some Major League Baseball games, and Bundesliga. then just a bunch of like, yeah, Bundesliga and then just a bunch of fucking college volleyball games and shit like that. Uh, so that I, you know, they'll probably want to keep the UFC, but even if they don't, and even if the rest of this, let's just say tomorrow, the bottom absolutely falls out of the ESPN plus UFC deal. Someone's going to buy the rights to the UFC after ESPN plus deal runs out, whether that be re up with ESPN plus, whether it be Netflix, Amazon prime Fubo, who knows some other streamer, somebody is going to shell out for the ESP or for the UFC broadcast rights. And they're going to pay them a shitload of money. And I think it was our boy, cat Pope who wrote in at one point with a sobering view of the future where he said, are we going to think of the ESPN plus era as one of the golden ages where all of the content was available right at ESPN plus, because there is also a possibility that the UFC will go back to splitting its various broadcast properties and scattering them over several different networks or streaming services, just like it was when you had to go back and find them on Fox or fuel or Fox sports or whatever the fuck it was. So the, the financial future for the UFC at this point is kind of set f- hashtag for life unless something really insane happens. Um, okay. Are you ready for an update from the man formerly known as David E. Lauderay, who okay. you'll recall last week wrote to us where his problem was that he had signed up for a Spartan race yes. months in advance then did not get in shape for the Spartan race, and then suddenly it was upon him. And uh, remember, our advice was basically, gut it out. We're going to get yeah. through this on mental toughness alone. <laughs> oh, that was terrible advice. We should not have given him that advice. <laughs> All right, I'm ready, though. What happened? Now he writes in the screen name David E. Lysender. Okay, well, the Spartan race happened and I am still alive. I am more warrior than man at this point. At the last minute, Eric and I took in a stray without a team, and that stray happened to be in considerably worse shape than us, which is saying something. So our Spartan race was more like a Spartan brisk walk. I did nail the hell out of the javelin throw, though. Yeah, that's what I was That's what I was telling him. You got to get mm-hmm. the javelin throw down. Uh, and the name, by the way, is uh, Cursed Diamonds had replied to this as saying, you are practically the modern-day Lysander at the Battle of Agaspatami, a reference I'm sure we all get. Yeah. He also goes out to write, what are the odds we collectively get the goat question right? 
I think we're going to choose a heavyweight or light heavyweight because no matter what someone like Henry Cejudo or DJ were to do in the cage, there's a large percentage of the population who thinks they could probably take them in a fight. So if someone small ends up with the accolades to be GOAT, we'll almost certainly pass them over for someone bigger. Also, most major sports have chosen their GOATs already. How long until MMA does the same and it becomes damn near impossible to unseat that fighter? Uh, I would say this, how would we know if we got the GOAT question right is... Are the MMA gods going to come down from Mount Zion at some point and be like, it's GSP, and then fuck off back up to the top of the mountain? Like, we're not, it's an opinion to begin with. So, and I would argue that even in other sports where they feel like we got the GOAT question kind of settled, there's always somebody willing to argue about it. Uh, I, I do think that there's a fair point to be made there that as much as we like to pound for pound our way into these weird calculations, we do tend to. It's fight sports. The scarier, bigger dudes are going to capture more of our attention. Though I do think, you know, right now, if you are looking at who has the best possible claims, um, guys like GSP, who is a pretty average-sized man, all things considered, uh, you know, above-average athleticism, perhaps, a little little bit better than... He would probably do pretty well in a Spartan race, honestly, Mm -hmm. somebody like GSP. He probably um, wouldn't have to worry about gutting it out. He would probably just, he stays in shape so he doesn't have to get in shape for the Spartan race. Yeah, he does that as a warm-up. Can um, you imagine if you showed up to do your Spartan race and you looked over and there's George St. Pierre standing there being like, little well, tough I, to hope hair. I, do, I hope I do okay in the Spiritas. I have been uh, training in the Spiritas every day. At the, he's being like, <laughs> I think you got it. Why don't you just do the 60 burpees or whatever it is, George? You'd be fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... John Jones is going to probably make a stronger case if he can go in there and beat Stipe, fake a retirement, and then come out again nine months later. Um, yeah. But I do think there's plenty of guys who are not huge, hulking individuals who still manage to eat up a lot of the oxygen in the room on the GOAT conversation. Yeah, and I think the one of the reasons why a lot of other sports have their greatest of all times already chosen is that they've been around for a lot longer than MMA. So it's probably more difficult to unseat those legends than it is to unseat guys that we were just watching fight like five, six, seven years ago. Uh, And let's be honest, man, regardless of whether or not it's true, by the way, I just have to say, I forgot to shut the door to my office. So my daughter's cat is in here having a life and death battle with a hair tie. uh, And she just, she just jumped in a trash can. So if you hear anything, if you hear any noise, it's just it's just a cat playing with them toys. Uh, so that's that's all. Uh, it's going to be John Jones, regardless of whether or not he deserves the crown as greatest of all time. John Jones, by the time it's all said and done, basically, probably only if he beats Stipe Miocic in their fight, will be regarded as the greatest of all time by the MMA media at large and the UFC will push that notion super hard, especially if he remains an active fighter, because once again, what's the biggest fight of all time. It's the next one you got coming up. Who's the greatest fighter of all time. The guy you still have left to promote. So John Jones will be regarded as the greatest of all time, despite the fact that it probably is still George St. Pierre and or Demetrius Johnson. But then we won't have to worry about it because that's a big ass fucking dude. And he looks fucking massive at heavyweight. In fact, I saw a picture of him yesterday that was from the heavyweight fight after he beat uh, Cyril Gaon. And I was like, that is a, just a big fucking dude. That is a big man right there. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself. So I don't think we need to worry about it. It's going to be a big dude. Dave Manley says, what do you think is next for Tony Ferguson? It was three years ago to the day, May 9th, that Tony fought Justin Gaethje for the interim title. He received the fight of the night bonus that night, his ninth bonus in a row. If the body camera footage from his DUI arrest comes out unfavorably for Tony, will the UFC cut him? Will they cut him anyway? 39 years old and hasn't won a fight in almost four years. These haven't been a great couple of years for El Kakui, and I'm afraid it's just going to get worse with his legal troubles. Now, Cat Pope just replies with a, frankly, all-too-believable answer to the what's next for Tony Ferguson, and he just says, Bare Knuckle FC. <laughs> Uh, This is a sad and troubling story about Tony Ferguson that if anybody hasn't been paying super close attention to MMA uh, or the news cycle, Tony Ferguson allegedly got super wasted, basically drove his truck over a couple of parked cars Mm -hmm. and then flipped it kind of sideways or upside down and was arrested for DUI and obviously some other crimes involved in those uh, vehicular accidents. So that's not great for Tony. 
uh, we have, I mean, it depends on what they can still get out of him, right? That's the honest truth. Like, who knows if Tony Ferguson at 39 years old was still going to be a significant contributor to the UFC anyway. But if they feel like they can still wring the washcloth out for a few more drops, they'll probably have the guy back whenever he is fit and able to do so. But the idea that Tony Ferguson will wash up on the shores of BKFC is far too believable yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Michael Oliver says, I was in attendance for UFC 288. I was with five other people. All five of them scored the main event for Henry. I was the only one who had it for Aljo. We'll admit I was substantially biased with Aljo as the clincher on three separate bets. I thought he had a good chance on the scorecards, but I was sweating bullets. I was really surprised to hear when I joined the discourse later in the evening and into this week that the decision for Aljo was not nearly as disputed as others in recent past. The only people who seemed to have the fight scored for Henry were those in attendance live. Was the hate for Aljo and his hometown skewing people's perception? Did the exaggerated applause for anything Henry did successfully deceive those from seeing what was really happening? Does any of it even matter? Because at the end of the day, I cashed all three of them motherfucking bets. Please, discourse. Uh, I mean, it is a different, it's a different experience yes. to watch a fight live in an arena than it is to watch it on television. Uh, you could argue that I think watching it on television both gives you a better view and makes you less susceptible to being swayed one way or another by the crowd. But it was still a damn close fight, man. It really was. I haven't watched it again. I only watched it the one time uh, as I was taking it in live. So I don't I can't say for sure that I wouldn't change my mind having watched it again. But when I watched it, I thought it was solidly an all Jermaine Sterling fight, despite the fact that he tried as hard as he possibly could to give it away in the fifth round. Uh, so I don't know to answer the question, but if you told me that people who watched it live were swayed either by the atmosphere or just like not having the same angles and views available that we had on television, I would believe you, especially in a fight that was so razor close. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is it, it was close. I could see how you make an argument, but it also just didn't feel like there were moments for Henry Cejudo that were so big or dominant that where I could look at it and be like, well, how do you do that and not win the fight? You know, right. I just didn't feel like there were any of those. Uh, Brian Jones says, what does the world come to? Years ago, Strike Force on CBS was the pinnacle of exposure. Now the UFC is on ABC and I groan because ain't nobody have that TV shit. I must either <laughs> dust off ye old sketchy websites or admire myself in a web of niche streaming services like Chad. Nobody wants to be that fatherly. P.S. Fuck Fubo. Oh, Hey, now come on. <laughs> I knew that would having, get you. I knew. Having just recently become a convert to Fubo, I have to say, it's pretty cool. It's pretty good. Especially if what you're mostly interested in is watching the NHL playoffs. Like, you got it all pretty much right there, except for the games that are on T TNT, and then you got to go get Sling TV without telling your wife uh, that, uh, that that's what you got. Well, she's going to be, like, cruising through the TV apps thing and be like, what is Sling? And you go, huh, what? What's this? Huh, how did that? Well, I, don't know, I don't know what happened there. See, what you have imagined is a world where my wife would ever turn on the television if I wasn't involved, which I assure you would almost never happen. Uh, but yeah, I think Fubo is great. What was the question? Oh, what has become of us? Uh, it is amazing to reflect on how far network television exposure has fallen, right? Because mm -hmm. back when Strike Force was on CBS, when Elite XC was on CBS. Yeah, remember when Elite XC was a major thing. Yeah, and it was like Kimbo Slice, and then later uh, Strike Force had Fedor and all this stuff, and then the UFC landed that Fox deal, and they did the JDS Cain Velasquez special on the Fox network. And I feel like immediately after that, we yeah. came to realize, oh, being on network television actually doesn't really do anything for you. Like it's, it's not the springboard to vast wealth and worldwide acceptance that we thought it was at first. And at this point, I like when we were talking about this ESPN on or UFC on ABC card last week on the proper, I was just like, I had to look twice to be like, Oh, this one's on ABC. That's why it's a slightly better collection yeah. of fights than your normal ESPN plus fight night. But at this point, like they're interchangeable, man, just as every other UFC fight night for the most part is interchangeable. It is kind of a, cruel wish on the monkey's paw that MMA managed to break through to network TV kind of just as 
that was starting to be meaningless. You know, that... Because we used to tell ourselves that back in the the dark days of MMA. Like, oh, one of these days, you know, people will realize how awesome MMA is. And it'll be on network TV. People will see it when they're channel surfing. It'll be like the golden era of boxing. When, you know, your great-grandfather was watching Rocky Marciano on network TV. In a title fight from Madison Square Garden in between ads for Burma Shave. And, (laughs) you know, that's... Safety razors. Yeah, that'll, that'll unlock the keys to the kingdom. And then MMA got on network TV, and within a couple years from that, the technological changes made it so that, yeah, sure, network TV is where the fucking stupidest sitcoms go. Network TV is for the shit that's not smart enough for AMC or uh, Netflix or something, where it's just com- lowest common denominator kind of shit. Network TV, who even fucking has that? Old people falling asleep in front of the TV is who has network TV on. And yeah. it's like, just when we got to the party, the party started to get lame, you know? Yeah. Cruel. Uh, and when I, I'll be honest, when I have to tune into some essentially network television, like when I watched the Super Bowl in January or February, whenever it was, and uh, now watching the NHL playoffs on what essentially are television networks, I'm stunned how fucking weird it is, man. When I just watch streaming for a really long time and then I tune into network television, this is fucking strange. All the dumbass shows that they got on that like you see the the commercials for yeah. in between uh, periods of the NHL. And they're just like, he's a doctor, but he's also part dog. And his brother <laughs> is a detective who lives in Hawaii. And it's just like, what the fuck are these terrible shows and all the dumb commercial? It's, it's insane, man. Uh, but more to the point of MMA. We had a lot of, we told ourselves a lot of tales back during the dark ages of MMA about how rosy life would be once we battled forward to quote unquote mainstream acceptance. We imagined a world where breaking through into significant sporting mainstream success would be good for everyone and Mm -hmm. not, as it turns out, only good for the UFC. Like no one else. They figured out a way to break into the mainstream in a way that only benefited the UFC. Didn't benefit the fighters, didn't benefit the sponsors, didn't benefit the media. Only the UFC is just out there just raking in the chips like Dana White at the high limit blackjack table and, you know, tossing a fiver, tossing a fiver as a tip to whoever just main offended the last UFC fight night. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it is great. I was watching uh, the first period of the Kraken game with my daughters before they went to bed, and you know what blew their mind is they're so used to a fractured media environment where it's like the things that you like and they're interested in are over here, the things that other people like are over there, and you'll never accidentally encounter them. And you know, during the NHL games, they'll be like, "The NHL is on Roblox now. There's a Roblox yeah. game," and it blew their fucking minds. You could just see like the top of their skulls just pop off where they went, "What?" And it wasn't just that like there's an NHL version. The NHL has a game on Roblox that you could then go play because they love Roblox. It was. The thing that blew their minds was, I can't believe these people know about Roblox. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, at this point, it's pretty well known. And she was just like, fucking amazing, you know, that like even these serious like pro sports dudes missing teeth, they still are advertising Roblox. And it's like, yeah, it's not really up to them. But yeah, uh, KJ Eslick says. Uh, notes how he's not even close to first. That's okay. Questions will still be asked. Why aren't there more ties in MMA? I have a very controversial opinion, and that I think more ties would actually be better for the sport. I think the problem is how we look at ties. A tie should be seen as those two fighters were even in skill and effort on that night. As we know, fights are about are often about the weight cut, the nerves, injury, etc., as much as they are about performance. A tie is not a bad thing. It's simply a very competitive fight, which we all claim we want to see. In my opinion, anytime there's a split decision, it should have just been a tie. Split decisions are terrible for both parties. The fighter who won is able to mark a W on their record, but then everybody constantly talks about how their win was bullshit. And if you lose a split decision, everyone says they were robbed. Make ties in MMA great again, L-Y-B-E. Now... I don't necessarily hate this from a theoretical perspective. And as anybody who's up on their boxing history will know, for a long time, this is how it went. That if you fought the full amount of rounds or whatever, nobody got knocked out, draw. 
it was just a draw. You go back and you look at somebody's records like Stanley Ketchell or something, and there's a ton of draws on there, and especially in the early parts of their careers. Then we got into stuff where it would be like, well, we'll have the referee, if we get to the, to the, the final round, just be like, mm, I thought it was this guy. And at different times, that was taken more seriously than others. That like, Does that actually mean you won, or is that just like one guy who had a, the closest view saying, if somebody had to win then probably it deserved to be this guy. Or there would be the newspaper decision where it would be like, okay, it was a draw, we went the full thing, but like the newspaper writers who were there, especially since this was an era before TV where you just had to kind of rely on it or wait for the moving pictures to come to your town and have it be like them saying, okay, those of us here on Press Row, the guy who writes for this newspaper says he thinks that guy won. And I don't know if that was necessarily better. I think there's still a lot of things for people to feel unsatisfied about. I think mainly the reason we do it that way in MMA is so that we can say something happened and move on. Because otherwise, think about how many close split decisions we've had. Or guys fight a rivalry sort of back and forth. And what if they were all draws? What if you had three fights between these guys and they're all three draws? And are you sitting around being like, what did we even do? You know, what do we do next? Where does this leave us? I think that even if people get heated about decisions or they don't totally buy that this really counts or should count as you winning, I think we like that sort of finality that makes us go, okay, we can argue about it, but we are still moving on. Yeah. I don't disagree that perhaps more fights should be considered draws because, you know, you watch Henry Cejudo versus Aljamain Sterling. I gave it to Aljamain Sterling, but if you told me it was actually pretty even through five rounds, I... Wouldn't be able to argue with that, actually. And not to get too philosophical about this, but I think that one of the basic reasons that sport in general appeals to us, or perhaps one of the promises of sport, is that it gives you black and white definitive outcomes, definitive results, whether it be basketball or football or ice hockey, baseball or fighting. And I think fighting is probably the thing where the black and white definitive ending or answer or outcome means the most to us because of the nature of the sport, the stripped down high stakes one-on-one way that the whole shit plays out naturally points us toward expecting a definitive outcome. Would you tune in for a pay-per-view event if all the fights ended in ties? I don't know. That would seem unsatisfying to me. Uh, it's, there's a reason why there are multiple cliches describing ties across all sports, right? A tie is like kissing your sister, they say, which is gross when you think about it. That's a gross way to describe anything. But I just think that like we are conditioned and one of the things we crave about sports is that it gives us a definitive answer. Maybe because most of the rest of our lives are so not definitive, non-definitive, undefinitive. I don't know what the word is. What's the word? Indefinitive? What's the word, Ben? I mean, non-definitive? Indefinite? Indefinite. Oh, look at that. That might be a different word. But uh, (laughs) the rest of our lives provide so much gray area that maybe one of the things we come to sports for, not only entertainment, but also answers. Well, clearly you're a man who does not watch a lot of European soccer. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Woo! They be tying all the damn time in that shit. And honestly, I kind of like the element that that has. It's, it's a different way to view sports, especially when you're watching the English Premier League or something. And it's if you're betting on it, you're like, this team could win, this team could win, or it could be a damn draw. Three possible outcomes. And they, you know, draws happen like a quarter of the time, more or less. And also that a lot of teams might come into certain matchups and be like, you know what? It'd be awesome if we could get a draw here. (laughs) Get one point in the standings, call it good, move on to the next one. Like, didn't lose, you know, pretty good. We're we're, we're singing on the bus on the way home. Well, it is possible that you have determined a flaw in my off-the-cuff philosophical treatment of why we crave wins and losses in sports, but I feel like I still bowl to strike on it, man. Nope. Feel like I'm going to cut this one up. Run. I'm going to put it up on Huffington Post. They're like, podcaster destroys co-hosts. 
Ah, you won't believe what happens next. <laughs> Herr Danny Boy the Third says, "Hello, gents. What's your least favorite UFC rule? No twelve to six elbows. No fish hooking. No headbutts. First of all." If I even hear somebody be like, I hate that there's no fish hooking allowed. People should be allowed to just constantly put their fingers in each other's mouths. Like, get that person down <laughs> on a list somewhere. That's a weirdo. Uh, mine has to be the no knees or soccer kicks, for that matter, to the head of a grounded opponent. Seeing Aljo take advantage of that one Saturday was particularly infuriating to watch. It's so ridiculous. You can run full speed at motherfuckers and knee them straight in the dome. But in the clinch, if their hand, fingers, or knees are touching the mat, they're magically protected. GTFO here with that shit. Cheers. I I tend to agree. I understand why we're not going to change it probably at this point. Why, if anything, we're going to add rules to diminish the violence rather than make it be like, all right, now we're soccer kicking each other in the face on network TV, you know, a UFC on ABC. For if, once people manage to find out how to watch network TV, you can imagine how maybe that one would go off poorly with the the larger sports audience and sometimes when you do see uh when you see fights like in one championship or something or in other organizations where soccer kicks to the head especially are allowed it can get ugly man that can really look ugly because especially soccer kicks knees to the head sure i get it there's a lot of situations where that can come up and i think that like that one i would especially like to see if you really made me choose like the, the knee to the head and the in the clinch on the ground stuff like that i think it can change a fight and will make a lot of positions less tenable to just sort of hang out in and yeah. people will have to adjust but i think that they would adjust the soccer kicks one usually only comes up when somebody is already fucked up and they're momentarily in a vulnerable spot before the referee has a chance to get in there and they just get full on fucking blasted in the face while they're already laying there out of it and that's one i think that be sort of unpalatable yeah, I agree that it is limiting, that those are limiting rules, especially because we see other countries and other organizations where those rules are allowed or those techniques are allowed. And so it seems limiting to us. And I would not argue with having them in. I feel like you would still have an uphill road to get American uh, commissions to okay that as part of the unified rules. But then again, we you know one just did a show in Colorado. They're, the last weekend's show was in Colorado. And they had the quote unquote international rules sanctioned in that event. So maybe I'm wrong. I will float also a potentially unpopular opinion. And you know that one of my loosely held beliefs is that the current scoring criteria, even if followed to the letter, is a little bit flawed and is a hard way to judge a sport with action as diverse and nuanced as MMA. But and I was kind of thinking about this after the Diego Lopez Movsar Ivalev fight. I feel like maybe we have swung too far in discounting the close but unsuccessful submission attempt. Like, mm. you, you if you almost get a guy in a rear naked choke or you almost get a guy in a knee bar or you have a guy in a triangle and the round ends or something like that, I kind of feel like that should count for more than it feels like it currently does in the scoring system because those are aggressive, controlling, borderline fight-ending techniques. You could argue the same as punching a guy super hard than like knocking him down but just not finishing him, which if you do that once in an otherwise kind of slow round, you can win it. Like how, how often do we see somebody land one significant punch that is the most significant strike of the round and we're like oh that wins that guy the round or whatever but like i don't know if you're if you got a guy in a knee bar when time expires maybe you should win that round i don't know i'm just spitballing i'm merely asking questions but i don't know it's like i'm i could be wrong it might be an unpopular opinion but i kind of think uh significant submission attempts should weigh a little heavier in the in the scoring criteria uh, here's something along the same lines from Joshua Pritchard. He says, hello, Ben and Chad, only in that order because, you know, alphabet. I knew a guy who works for one, and he was at the fights in Colorado. He said that the crowd was amazing, so good for them. I bugged him about a lot of other shit. One thing was the rule set and the sanctioning thereof in Colorado and hopefully other places. Here's my question. He said that that was Rich Franklin's job. Is that something that is happening? Ace is out here lobbying commissions like only a former math teacher could? Is that a good idea? I think it makes sense on a couple levels. Have you heard of other fighters working for promotions with sanctioning bodies? And should we see more of it? Thanks. L-Y-B-E, and you know it. 
That is interesting uh, that it's, you know, we've heard about Rich Franklin working with one for a while now, right? Yeah. So and he's on the broadcast team. He's allegedly part of the executive leadership structure, right? right? And if you had to have somebody go into a state athletic commission, which are just made up of fucking appointed goddamn morons anyway, in almost guy, every guy situation. Who owns a tire barn out there also on the athletic commission especially with the ones in the states where it's not a big fight state that like nevada or california where they're seeing tons of fights coming through it where it's the other states where it's just they're dealing with mickey mouse bullshit most of the time and it's just some very minor bureaucrat often drunk on an extremely small amount of power and you have to have somebody go in there and sort of make the case for him you could do a lot worse than rich franklin who goes in there and be like okay Here's why you should allow our rule set. And this is coming from me, a guy who knows about it, a former fighter, a guy who's been through it. And, but who also like presents himself well. Uh, it seems like he could make a, a reasonable, th- well thought out case to you and uh, could talk to a variety of different audiences. You had floated the idea a little while ago that we should try to get ace franklin on doing the damn thing on one of these one of these podcasts maybe we interview him well it wasn't so much uh, here's interesting thing we're letting people behind the curtain it wasn't so much that like i was like hey you know who we should go get is rich franklin but it was like that uh his pr person or one pr person kind of reached out to me and was like hey would you guys be interested and you know one of the solemn vows on the CME proper, we don't do interviews. But I was like, right. for doing the damn thing, it'd be interesting to talk to Rich Franklin about how we've used the sport, uh, how it's, you know, what's the life like from gone. One of the interesting thing, things I thought when we had this conversation back and forth, and maybe they looked at the schedule and were like, oh, we don't want to do it, or we don't want to do it for these assholes, or whatever, uh, is she said, Rich would get a kick out of it. He would enjoy talking to people who remember him. It made me a little sad, honestly. Oh, that is. That's heartbreaking. See, yeah, the way that but I if he has to it, go around and talk to people about one and they're like, oh, hey, didn't you used to fight? You know, like these people don't know nothing but the history. Uh, the way that I heard of it to let people further behind the curtain is got a typically short, undescriptive, terse email from Ben Folks that just said, what do you think about having Rich Franklin on one of the shows? And I was like, I guess so. I don't did something. Why are we seems like a good idea, but I don't uh, fine. Let's do it. And that was kind of like the last we heard of it. I mean, I was in an airport at the time, so just straight into the point. I know you yeah. appreciate that half drunk on $8 airport beers. It's more like it. Lotus from Texas says, greetings, fellow hockey fans. We are tied up two two going into game five in Dallas. But home rink advantage hasn't meant shit so far. On one hand, Seattle's forecheck has been amazing. Honestly, they are playing at a level they have no business playing at because of it. And, well, the stars have Pavelski, who is literally playing out of his fucking mind. So how does it end, gentlemen? First of all, the Kraken do have a business playing at this level. They played at it almost all year. They were good. They were good this year, and no one noticed even though for part of the middle of the season, they were sitting up there at the top of the table in the Pacific division. Then they had a little bit of a swoon. They came back to earth perhaps, but they've been good. It's not like a fluke that they're in this man. They're a good team. That said last night's game was the worst game that I've seen them play perhaps all year. It was fucking terrible. Speaking of the forecheck, they couldn't forecheck shit last night. Fucking also giving it away. Turnovers in the zone. Just, it was awful. It was terrible. They got absolutely fucking worn around the rink like a hat by the Dallas Stars. And you know what? That would have been a good one to win. At home, series tied 1-1. That would have been a good one to win because now you roll into, uh, or wait, series tied 2-2? Series tied 2-2. 2-2. That one would have put them up 3-1, yeah. Yeah, now you roll into Dallas and you got, I think, a bit of a must win in this one. You don't want Dallas to get up three, two, right? Cause then you got to win two in a row, which is, that's a tall order right now mm-hmm. for this team. So we'll see what happens. The Kraken have been better on the road all year than they have been at climate change. So, uh, climate pledge, sorry, climate change arena would be a weird name, uh, for a sporting facility. But, uh, 
we'll see. We'll see what happens. The yesterday's, I mean, you knew Dallas was going to have some urgency after getting their butts kicked in the in the previous yeah. game. But this is this is terrible from the crack. That was a terrible game. I turned climate, it off after the second period. That's how bad it was. And yeah, I usually too. watch till the bitter end. Climate change arena is the one that's built so that when it is submerged underwater, it's still workable. Yeah. It's, it's where water, everyone will be entrances. living. Yeah. Everyone will be living on the floor of the local arena. Um, I did think one of the problems that the Kraken have at times at their worst and had in this game was letting in uh, one goal. And then the next thing you know, it's a snowball effect and you can't do shit and you look yeah. up and suddenly you've let in four goals in a period and it, it the game has gotten out of hand, especially in the middle period. In the second period, they seem to have a problem doing that. And that happened to them here. And so even though, you know, First period was pretty close. They go down. They go into the locker room down one nothing. Third period was pretty close. They outscore the Dallas Stars two to one in that period. It's the the middle that gets away from you, and then it doesn't matter. Jake Ottinger yeah. also played pretty well after he did. getting absolute fucking shelled uh, in the previous game. Lotus is right though that in kind of the playoffs all around, not just in this series, home ice advantage hasn't really seemed to mean that much. So go figure. Yeah, yeah. All right, we are about 50 minutes in. You know what time it is. It's Tracy time. Tracy Dickinson writes, So, the first Nate Diaz-Jake Paul press conference is something that happened, and yeah. To be fair, I only know this based on various video clips posted on Twitter because I couldn't bring myself to watch it. Maybe it was an amazing viewing experience. Based on clips I've seen posted by people who took one for the team, I do know that Nate apparently got up and wandered off to the bathroom while Jake was talking at one point. I know that was a weird-ass face-off. I know that Nate seemed slightly concerned when Mike Bond informed him that there is a no-tolerance policy for marijuana with the Texas commissions. He suggested moving the fight to California. And I know that there was apparently a plant of Jake's in the audience that trolled Nate by saying he'd be able to beat up Nick. Is there any way that this press conference actually got people excited for their fight? And most importantly, is there any way that the plant was able to avoid being stocked and slapped if Nate's entourage found him afterwards? We've already talked about Derek from Better, um, more frankly than I would like to. The... <laughs> I love the idea, and this is something that I feel like you only get in, in fight sports, of fighters learning important information from the media. <laughs> information that can and and probably will affect their lives. Like Nate Diaz finding out from Mike Bone that maybe Texas is still a little backwards when it comes to marijuana policy for fighters. My favorite of all time probably is the conference call where Rampage Jackson learned that his fight with Mo Lawal was not, in fact, a catch weight where he had to show up at 240 pounds or whatever it was, where it was, in fact, heavyweight. And he was delighted to hear it. And you could immediately picture how his trainers must have been off camera somewhere going, fuck, we told this guy, which this was, this was how we were going to make sure he had to get in shape, was to tell him that it was a 240-pound catch weight. Now he knows he can show up and be 265. There's no hope. There's no hope now of getting Rampage to do those extra conditioning drills, of getting Rampage to stick to a diet. Like, forget it. It's all out the window yeah. now. Mo ruined it for everybody. I don't know if I'm an outlier here, and maybe this is just me having been around the sport so long that most of the pre-fight stuff has kind of worn off on me. I don't plan to watch one second of Jake Paul and Nate Diaz trying to hype this fight because I already know that I'm going to be bored of a Saturday night, maybe at Ben Folks's house. Mm -hmm. And we're going to watch this fight. Like it's just going to happen. I'm just going to end up seeing it. So I don't need to be particularly excited or talked into it. It's just also not necessarily like quote unquote, looking forward to it. It's just like a thing that's going to happen that I will watch. So didn't watch one second of this press conference and we'll probably not watch any until the fight happens. It's kind of like a con game where you know and accept in advance that they're going to get you. Yeah, it's like going to Vegas. It's like being on the floor in Vegas and just being like, well, fuck, I got a dollar in my pocket. I'll put it in this slot machine. Just see what happens. Oh, I lost it. All right. On my yep. way to the buffet or whatever. That's just kind of the price I pay for being involved in the thing. Yeah. Uh, you, but I kind of agree that 
the the build up to the thing i assume is for other people who either where that's part of like how you get them interested in any boxing match but also people who haven't seen this a million times before with a million other people yeah and maybe it works better on them all right we'll do a little lightning round before we get out of here marcus wilberg says never got the koozie sent to finland now won't get any t-shirt why i always getting fucked almost like you don't love us all equally, to which Brian oh, wow. Jones replies, my t-shirt is free, but I may slip into crippling medical debt at any moment. You're still winning, Marcus. <laughs> That's a solid point. Solid point. That is a fair point. Should we yeah. start an HSA for uh, for the patrons? <laughs> Just like a massive health savings account for the American patrons? I think that, obviously, the place for the CME to go next is as a health care provider. <laughs> it just makes sense, you know? Uh, it's it's what we were we were born to do. Gaz, I mean, we already we handled that Spartan race thing for David Lotteray, right? <laughs> there we're we practically go. there. Man, can you imagine if if the next post was like Dave Lotteray's widow being like, "Well, did, <laughs> he, Dave took your advice and what, tried to gut out the Spartan race and died of a massive heart attack." Thanks a lot, you guys. And we'd be like, "Well, that's kind of on us, I guess. Yeah. We, we did. We did really." enthusiastically support him going and doing that despite being out of shape. Gaz Darch says, Hey guys, got any ideas what the hate for and constant booing of Bilal was all about during fight week and the 288 event? He's a likable down to earth motherfucker who has earned his ranking and deserves a title shot for his win streak. Was it just some bitch ass casuals in a pretty shitty crowd who cheers a takedown then boos the following groundwork? Uh, Bilal facing a fan fave in Gilbert Burns or something more sinister such as Colby calling him racist or his stance on Palestine LYBE fuck Dave and fuck the Knights um it is interesting every once in a while how we get reminded how many of MMA fans like how how what the shithead ratio of MMA fans especially MMA fans at any given live UFC event might be live event you go to a for me you go to a live MMA event and it's somewhat eye-opening yeah um, because on paper, you'd think if there's somebody, the crowd in New Jersey is going to get behind, is it going to be, you know, the fighter out of Chicago or the dude out of Brazil? And normally you'd say it's going to be the guy out of Chicago. And yet, uh, especially a certain amount of shithead, maybe Colby Covington, uh, apologists, sympathizers might be more of the line be like, oh, fuck this guy. Uh, you know, Muslim fighter who uh, outspoken about stuff like Palestine or just like in an f- ongoing feud with Colby Covington. If you're one of the MAGA branch of MMA fans, and there's frankly a lot of them, then maybe that's enough to make it so that you're like, fuck Bilal Muhammad, even though, true, he does seem it's just like one of MMA's you know, better dudes. The truth is, I don't know. And the charitable explanation is perhaps that the crowd is knowledgeable enough to know that they don't appreciate Bilal Muhammad's fighting style over this Mm -hmm. run of victories that he has had. Perhaps they consider him to be a quote-unquote boring fighter. The uncharitable opinion or theory is racism. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. And always uh, a possibility worth considering with MMA fans. Nobby Buckles says, Big homies, I know I'm not the first to feel this way, but I'm just burned the fuck out on MMA. What do we even have to look forward to in the coming months? John Jones might fight Stipe in two or three months, but what else is there? Jamal fucking Hill is the lightweight champion? Light heavyweight champion? Nothing against Jamal Hill, but he's fucking Jamal Hill. Izzy has no real contenders left to beat. Pour one out for our guy Bobby Knuckles, unless they announce Hamzat is moving to 185 full-time. Otherwise, it's another rematch slash trilogy with Behera, which I kind of hate. Leon versus Colby Covington sounds like no one's idea of a good time. I'd rather gargle glass and rock salt than watch the lead up to that, even if the actual fight might be interesting. Even Shavkat, that boy good, Rachmanov is behind Colby and Bilal to get a crack at the strap. Islam doesn't have anything on the books, and they just killed off an awesome contender in Rafael Fazeev, so can we? So we can kind of hope for a Gatesy title shot, maybe? 
Volkanovsky versus Yair sounds fun. Okay, I like that that's what we're doing for Volkanovsky now. Maybe the first time I've heard that. But it's not exactly appointment viewing. And then what's next? It'll be a year or more until Toporia versus Evloev and are in the running, assuming Max doesn't knock them out first. Aljo versus Clown Shoes O'Malley sounds like it's a done deal, but even that would be awful in the lead up and only fun once the cage doors close. Our boy hero Brandon Moreno is still waiting for a fight, so maybe something interesting happens there. Women's featherweight and bantamweight do not merit a mention. It's awesome that Grasso beat Valentino, but they're just do- going to do it again, sister, which is not super exciting. Similar to men's flyweight, there's nothing booked for strawweight, so while there are some interesting matchups, they're all several months away. Can you fellas get me excited about anything, or am I doomed to have to watch Twitter highlights from Kaposa and just wait for something to catch my eye? Love you all equally, Dave. Now... Here's my radical suggestion for this, if you're feeling this way. And this is a totally valid way to feel. I think everybody goes through some ebbs and flows in their interest in MMA. And especially if you're looking at it in sort of short term, where you're like, this is what's on tap. Not really interested in that. The stuff that I am interested in is months away. I would say, feel free to take an off season for yourself. Because MMA is not going to give you one. Whether it has some stuff to show you or not, it is going to keep rolling out the tent, rolling out the content. And keep having a fight every Saturday night. Whether there's good shit or bad shit or mediocre shit, it's just going to keep doing it. Never gives you an offseason. Never gives you that break the way other sports do to sort of refresh your interest and then miss it a little bit. Uh, So if you look at the next few fight cards and you're like, I'm not really that excited about it, then that's fine. I would say give yourself permission to kind of peace out and then float back in when the stuff that you are interested in gets nearer. Yeah. I agree with that. Burnout is real. You should feel free, I think, at this point to consume this sport in whatever way works for you, especially now that we are doing the largely streaming era and there are a lot of different uh, options for you to view the sport. And one of the great things, as we have said numerous times before about the way ESPN Plus puts the UFC on there is that you can find a short breakout video of almost any fight that you want to watch. And I would agree with Dave wholeheartedly that the stuff going on in and around various title pictures in all of the divisions is a little lackluster right now with some notable exceptions. And so if that's what you're looking for, uh, there might not be a lot, but you can also find sometimes some, some gems. If you dig a little deeper, like we've been talking about it, but like this Saturday's card on ABC The Biggie Boy versus Jailton Almeida, I will watch. Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker, I will watch. Ian Gary is on the card, I will watch that. Tim Means is on the card, I will watch that. Freaking Matt Brown against Court McGee, I will watch that for sure. So you just start, you know, Edmund Shabazian fights Anthony Hernandez a week after that. Karolina Kovalkiewicz also on this card. She will stand there leaning against the cage like she is looking to catch a taxi home from the club. Kai Kara France is on the next one. Misha Tate, Jim Miller, Alex Caceres. I will I will watch those guys fight, man. I will I might not watch the whole event, but I'll watch those guys fight. I will watch Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush. I will watch Dan Ige versus Nate Landwehr. You know I'm on the the bo- on board with the train. I'm riding the train. Uh, got Armand Sarukian coming back to try to get back on, on the horse. So like, there's still a stuff out there that I would argue is worth watching. I think the thing to do is pick and choose what is of interest to you and kind of watch that. Don't watch anything else. Another great thing to do is tell yourself you're quitting, tell yourself you're quitting the sport. You don't want anything to do with it anymore. And immediately you'll see some shit where you're like, fuck, they keep pulling me back in. Yeah. That's just how it works. All right, two more and we'll get out of here. One from Sunny Weathers who says, Proper 12 won't ever pass my whiskey snob lips, but I'd be down as fuck to try some Funk Master rum. Oh, is that a real thing? How did I miss that? Funk Master rum? I heard he was talking about it, but I don't know if it's actually a thing that you could go buy yet. I don't think that that's, we're that deep into it yet. Yeah. I'm not a rum drinker. Neither am uh, I. But I would give a taste to the Funk Master rum, and I bet my response would be, yep, that's rum, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, ho, ho. That is some rum. Finally, from Stephen G. He says, gentlemen, after last week's news, I watched the video of Joe Schilling KOing some guy in a Florida bar, and I am 100% on Schilling's side. The video is clear. 
Random, tough guy running his mouth, acting big, squaring up, shoulder faint. He had absolutely no problem with violence all the way up until the point in which he started losing, which was immediately. (laughs) Shockingly, he cried to the police about how he was just having a good time and was, quote, chased down, direct quote, for no reason because, quote, he didn't do anything, another direct quote, before estimating Joe Schilling to be at least six foot five and 270 pounds, even though Schilling is listed at 6'3 and last fought at 186, according to Tapology. I don't know, maybe I'm being too MMA bro-ish about it. Love to the community. Here's what I'll say after thinking about this situation. I think, honestly, that the way this played out is probably in all ways the right way and hopefully taught everybody involved some important lessons because to the other guy that tells you, hey, even if you're, you've had some drinks and you're feeling tough and you, you're feeling like you can just talk shit to anybody, you never know when the dude who just walked past you pretty politely, honestly, in the club is in fact a professional fucking fighter and will yeah. wreck your whole shit. That could always happen. So maybe just be polite to everybody and just yeah. don't be a dick to anybody because you never know. But also for Joe Schilling, who is uh, in the end vindicated, but also had to go through and deal with a whole bunch of shit because of this, maybe the lesson is wasn't worth it. Wasn't even a little bit worth it to fuck this guy up because he was talking shit to you and, and you know, threw like a fake shoulder faint kind of thing at you. Guy probably was not going to actually do anything to you. You probably could have handled it in a bunch of other ways that did not have to escalate immediately to devastating violence <laughs> of which you are especially capable. And, you know, while in the end you get a, a court to say this guy was justified in his use of force and everything, wasn't it still a pain in the ass? Wouldn't you still rather feel like eh, it wasn't worth it to punch that guy in the face twice just to go through all this shit for like, yeah, you know, a year afterwards? Not worth it. And so everybody should learn that the thing to do was generally to leave other people to fuck alone. Yeah. I am in general of the opinion that if you are a professional strike or professional fighter and specifically a devastating striker as uh, Joe Schilling is, you should let the physical altercation get a little bit further down the road, so to speak, before you, as you said, uh, roll out the devastating violence. (laughs) Like if this drunk guy took a cut at Joe Schilling, uh, what would Joe Schilling be laying on the floor? Probably not. Joe Schilling would probably easily slip his punch and then perhaps be more justified in uncorking the devastating violence. Uh, you should, I mean, I guess I'm of the opinion that if you are a professional fighter, you shouldn't be fighting people in bars and street in the streets, probably no matter what. Uh, I am also 100% in agree with in agreement with you that you should not fuck around lest you find out. Yeah. You never know who's in the bar with you. You don't know what varying circumstances they may come from. You don't know what their mindset may be. Even if it's not a professional fighter, you may get yourself involved in a situation that is beyond your control here in Montana. A lot of people have guns. A lot of people have guns and it's never the guy you want to have the gun who has the gun. So generally probably best not to fuck around because you might find out. All right. That's it, right? We done. We out of here. We're going to, we're going to wrap up for this week with the live chat. We're back tomorrow with doing the damn thing and Friday with the power hour to set you up for the UFC on ABC. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for providing your questions. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, we're done.